And welcome back, everyone, to yet another edition of Going for Two, presented by our dear friends here at Home Field Apparel. I am your host. My name is Matt Brown. I publish the Extra Points newsletter. I'm joined here, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Brian Fisher. Brian, we are we are almost to the end of the season. How, how are we holding up right now? It, uh, it doesn't feel like the end of the season. You know, I, I know everybody kind of looks at those those calendar tick marks as we kind of move move forward and, and we get into the kind of thick, thick of things. But uh, we, we got the World Cup coming up. We got, uh, you know, still college football still has has plenty of games to play with with huge implications in terms of the college football playoff and beyond. Uh, we got coaches being hired now. We got coaches being fired. Uh, we, we, you know, this is uh, this is kind of the, the meat of the season, if you, if you ask me, in terms of just kind of crazy news stories. So um, although it might be winding down on the calendar, there's still plenty going on across college athletics there's honestly this this kind of section is is usually the busiest time of the year even without the world cup because we have postseason for olympic sports this is one of the, the couple of weeks when you have the overlap between college basketball and college football some of the, the the biggest games here we are both headed in we're both hitting the road but we're definitely going it's in starkly, starkly different uh weather uh, the, pattern, yeah, i, 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 I want to let's talk about this really quick and then we can i want to there's a there's a few Maybe more localized things from this week that I want to talk about that are not the biggest news stories. If you uh, are unaware, we are recording this here on a Tuesday evening on Thursday morning. I am leaving Chicago and flying to Bozeman, Montana. And uh, I'm not going there because College Game Day is going. College Game Day is following me. I bought this ticket like a month ago, which uh, is critical because, Brian, guess how much it costs right now to get in ticket price for Montana, Montana State? I'll go north of 200. It is north of last time I checked, which was this morning on StubHub, the cheapest ticket is 370 bucks. Um, which which might have been the case even if game day had not been there. I, I think we should put, probably put that in that this means sure. so much to that state and, and to these two schools. So so I think there's that you add in that that the implications in, in the FCS poll, both teams are ranked in the top 15. So uh, you know this, this is a big game otherwise, but uh, the the game day circus coming down definitely adds a bit of an element uh, or two to this matchup. Yeah, it's it's huge for playoff reasons. It's huge because it's a massive local rivalry, and I wanted to go to write an explainer and and highlight this this particular game and and why why it's a unique uh, rivalry within the, the, all of college athletics because most people don't have the opportunity to spend some time in Montana. But it's also an open secret that both of these schools and especially the Big Sky openly coveted getting College Game Day to come to this thing. It's been a multi year campaign. They're going. So I'm going to be on the ground. I'm going to meet with the college game day people on Friday. I'm, I'm, I should be talking with one of the lawmakers at Montana that was like literally trying to like cajole ESPN into coming. And also what this means from a, an FCS, uh, you know, big picture, you know, uh, perspective. So look for some photos from this event. You'll be able to find them on, on my Twitter account. And there should be multiple newsletters coming out on Sunday and the beginning of next week. Um, you alluded to this, Brian, though. I believe the like the. The, the typical temperature when I'm going to be there is going to be like eight. Um, <laughs> like the, the high, I mean, and Chicago's cold and I have cold weather clothes and I'm going to be, it's going to be fine, but I am going to complain the entire time. See, um, I, I don't mind the cold weather, but it, there, there's that, that certain threshold where it is like the, the, when you're in the single digits for sure, um, you know, like I, I feel like the coldest place I ever get to go is, is like Minneapolis in, in the winter, you know, where, where you're flying through there or you got it, you're, you're doing a story through there and, and it's just that, that biting windy cold and, and yeah. you're going to experience a little bit of that uh, there, there in Montana. It 
it's trash. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit of a fat guy. Like I've got some insulation. You think it would be okay for a little bit, but I've lived in the Midwest for most of my life. Yeah. I'm looking at, I think on Saturday, it's going to be the highest uh, of, you know, for a couple of days, high of 28. Um, Please God, I hope that there's some heat in this press box. Uh, I, 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 I already saw some game day folks complaining. So you're, you're not alone. In, in that I, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. I don't know. Don't tell our boss this yet. I don't know if I'm going to be out there at 430 in the morning on, on that Saturday for the entire thing. Right. Cause that, that, that is, if my eyelashes are freezing, it's probably not here for me. You are not going to be there though. You're going to be someplace much warmer of uh, another game of significant import. Well, it was even more significant before UCLA lost, yes, but but we'll be out, out at the Rose Bowl for USC-UCLA and a, a nice high of 72, I believe, on Saturday there in Pasadena. So I, I won't uh, mention that again, but uh, yeah, nice, yes, nice yes, normal yes, condition. It, it'll be, you know, it's an evening game, you know, five o'clock kick uh, in Pacific. So, you know, it'll get down into the 40s and 50s, you know, so it's it, it's always that surprising chill at the Rose Bowl. I always, you know, cover, covering that, a lot of games on New Year's Day, it's like that, that evening chill. Um, it, it can get cold, especially for those that... Uh, are in and around Southern California for, for most of their lives. Um, if I understand this cor- correctly, UCLA has, str- <coughs> excuse me, struggled pretty significantly to sell tickets and get people to come to these games. This is a sellout. Right? A, 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 a sellout for UCLA games, you know, okay. the, the the actual Rose Bowl itself, you know, when, when you're talking about the January 1st, the granddaddy of them all, yeah, you're talking about 92, 93,000 uh, actual fans, and that is packed to the gills. And when you're talking about UCLA games, because of the, there's some tarps, there's some some sections kind of roped off a, a little bit. Obviously, they, they don't haven't sold anywhere near that. I, I think their highs are, um, you know, in, in the 50,000s uh, at, at that. And this, this game, I mean, it is a big game uh, in terms of Pac-12 implications. USC can clinch a trip. Uh, to Las Vegas for the Pac-12 title game with this one. Obviously, there's tons of inner city uh, complications, but uh, yeah, 70,000 uh, plus will, will be there at the Rose Bowl. I, I can't wait for that atmosphere. Big for UCLA. I, I know Martin Jarman and the rest of the athletic department have been made a, a, a huge priority to to really make sure that they can do the outreach right and, and get those tickets out there for, for a lot of fans that, that want them. And, um, you know, they're, they're, I think their efforts have been a slow go starting off in that non-conference schedule, but they've built up to a, a pretty big place. And uh, it's, it's not often you get the Rose Bowl rocking for a UCLA game, but it, it should be. And Let's face it, there will be plenty of USC ticket holders there as well. Yeah, I, the, the thing that kind of stood out to me besides the tarp situation, and I, I have not covered a regular season matchup for anything at UCLA yet. Ho- hopefully that changes at some point, is that they were saying more than 16,000 student tickets have been distributed. And that's been one of the, the, the big challenges for this program has been finding ways to get students to show up, given that the Rose Bowl is not on campus and there's a lot of other things going on and, and you're facing uh, price constraints and and uh, the challenge, the not so attractive non-conference schedule and the fact that UCLA football has just been kind of whatever for a little while. All of those things makes it hard to make this a destination. We'll see what happens on Saturday, but you know the initial uh, um, reports indicate it not only is going to be very full, but it's going to be full of people who are emotionally invested in this game, which I, yeah. I think makes compelling television. You've got the the red versus the blue. You have a a, a a game that for the has not really been common over the last 10, 15 years for both teams to be really good. 
uh, when this well, I, I was thinking yeah. back to kind of the, the last time these two programs were, were really truly nationally relevant, uh, probably 06, I, I would say, uh, a yeah. little bit um, back back then. I, I, w- I was uh, covering USC at the time. I remember I had the, I was ready to check out because that, that if they'd won that game, they would have gotten sent to the national title game. Uh, they, they lost 13 to nine, I, I believe was was the score there. Uh, big hit from from Ray Maluga, I believe, on the, on the UCLA quarterback. And uh and then they ended up losing. And so USC, I believe just got, just got stuck, you know, there at the Rose bowl. So, um, you know, That's fun, terrible. fun times there. There was the Oh five matchup. Certainly, uh, you know, where both teams kind of came in with top, top 15, I think they were in the top 15, uh, top, top 10 aspirations, maybe for pre UCLA there. I know USC obviously, um, it was, it was on that uh, historic run and, and then they just kind of ran right over, uh, the, the Bruins in, in that one. And it wasn't competitive there with, with Carl Durrell as, as the coach of the Bruins. But, um, you know, there, there's, there's been times and, uh, you know, I think this is actually one of the more interesting rivalries because, you know, the way, way back in the day, this did get a lot of coverage, you know, in, in terms of those rare national games on ABC yeah. or CBS, you used to be able to watch USC and UCLA. So that's why when, when I talk with family members in Texas or, or wherever, yes, USC, Notre Dame, of course, but there was also a lot of, you know, focus on, on UCLA and, and USC back in the day. And that was from uh, a lot of these, these inner city matchups. Um, I have to admit, I don't have very deep personal memories of those. I'm sure that they happened. They, I, I don't remember them being as as big of a deal culturally where, where I was growing up, but I'm excited. And I'm excited to hear your report uh, from the ground about what this li- what this is like uh, with, with, when there's some really meaningful stakes. I mean, it, it's so meaningful. My, my Fox colleagues uh, flipped from, uh, we, we got Gus and Joel on, on the primetime game instead of the big noon game. So I, I think that kind of tells you there, there's a, a lot more interest in, in this matchup. And, you know, it, it's kind of set against the, the backdrop of, of certain things going on around UCLA. They, they have a Regents meeting this week as well. So like there, there's a lot kind of happening uh, around these two schools. And, and I think a very interesting perspective on the game in, in the Pac-12 just given that they, they are the two schools leaving. And at the same time, really, the, the, the entire conference is down to one hopeful for the CFP and in USC. So, like, you're kind of sort of rooting uh, for, for USC to get it done just in terms of the revenue and the prestige and people talking about the Pac-12. But the, I think for a lot of folks, there's still that thing in the back of their mind that says, oh, wait, they're, they're still leaving. They, they left us. And, and so it's like, yeah, you know, if they, they get a bad call that goes their way, no, no, nobody's uh, too upset about it in Pac-12 territory. Yeah, it, it's a little bit harder for me, I think, to to legitimately imagine a world where like an Oregon State fan is like has this game up on the second screen and going, boy, I hope USC makes the college football playoff. Like I understand the math, but hurt feelings there beyond just th- this change. I am glad that you mentioned the uh, Regents meeting. For those that have not been following this super closely, you normally when a school has the press conference and officially announces that they're changing conferences. That's mostly the end of it. But the US UCLA situation has been a little bit different. You know, there's a quick clarification. USC is a private school, state of California and, and any kind of uh, you know, public regency that can't really do anything to force them to remain in the conference. Like I, theoretically, like I, I guess the federal government could decide to like, oh, we're going to put it, you know, pull fast some money. They're not going to do that. Right. However, UCLA, public institution, and uh, there is some concern here as to whether this move will uh, damage not just UCLA student-athletes and UCLA students, but also potentially the the budget and finances of UC Berkeley, Um, both part of the same university system. It's not common for two schools in the same university system that share governing bodies for one to move to a different conference and and not the other. It, It does happen, but it's not super common. So there was a question of, 
will UCLA's regents do anything about this? When I first wrote about this topic, right after the uh, the move was broken, the announcement was broken, I talked to a couple of, of, of professors, not in the UC system, but who studied California politics and I studied California higher education. And the consensus that I got back then was, it's good politics to complain about this, and it would make sense for to haul in UCLA's brass for a bunch of embarrassing uh, committee meetings and throw a temper tantrum, but it's highly unlikely that the regents would actually prevent the move. And part of that was this idea that they don't actually have the power. California's UC system is a little bit different from other states in that like their constitution like spells things out about how autonomous these university systems are supposed to be. Then the regents get together and they say, well, actually, even if we have delegated this authority to these schools before, we can still take it back and we could prevent this if we wanted it to. And that is a long way of saying here that uh, on Thursday, I believe the 17th of this week, they're going to meet. And they've actually released uh, some of the conversations and some of the data leading up to uh, that meeting. Brian, have you had a chance to look at what the UCLA student survey data said or what some of the math that the school's preparing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there was always a, a lot of discussion, especially coming out of the the past regions meeting where, where they were asking some questions and there was not a whole lot of data surrounding this. Obviously, there's a, a bit of a competing narrative from the Pac-12. George Klyovkov had, had put it out there. You know, he did, hadn't spoken to anybody that was in favor of this move at UCLA. Well, as it turns out, you know, they, they did do some some student surveys and all that. And that really is not the biggest concern uh, for, for them. You know, the, I think they had cited, you know, some of the, the issues that they foresee about UCLA moving to the Big Ten. Yes, travel costs, number one. One uh, increased travel times, I believe, is, is number one. Missed class time, number two. Um, you know, but uh, you know, they're like there's. They also mentioned, you know, is is uh, you know, competition and cold weather a, a big deal for you? Well, well, about half of them said yes, yes, it might be. You know, so like there's there's other things in there, but uh, they also yeah. said, you know what, it can bring increased exposure. Um, you know, increased TV opportunities. Obviously, you're talking about uh, potential name, image, and likeness. Uh, you know, opportunities increasing as not only a, a school based in LA, but the fact that you are joining a national conference with big brands like Ohio State, like Michigan, and, and competing on bigger stages. But, um, you know, I think that the overall kind of uh, sentiment was that uh, UCLA students, at least student athletes that, that participated in the survey, they were okay with it. You know, like this is not uh, not something that they're like super anti-against and, and they're they're, they're going to pick pick up this uh, uh, Regents meeting or anything like that. But, yeah. um, you know, they, they see some of the benefits that, that are going to be part of this move. And I, I think that's going to be, um, you know, very notable. And then they also you know, kind of underscored going into this week's game against USC that really their, their biggest uh, rival is, is USC, you know, going across town. They wanted to keep that more than they wanted to keep a rivalry with Cal Berkeley, which is uh, kind of the other thing that the Regents are going to be considering at this meeting. Yeah, and it's it's worth pointing out, right? Like if UCLA goes to the Big Ten, they will likely be able to continue to play Cal or Stanford on an out-of-conference basis in most sports most of the time. If, I, if you, I've, I've talked with some people at the athletic departments. They they, they generally, I think, once there's some of the animosity, this is not going to be a Texas, Texas A&M type no. of animosity between these schools. I mean, David Shaw told me a couple, you know, about a month ago that, you know, he anticipates playing you know, USC and, and UCLA at some point in the near future. It might not just in terms of the schedules not working out. Yeah, it might take a couple of years because these things get scheduled out so far in advance. But uh, there, there's probably going to be some sort of rotation uh, amongst the four California schools to, to get back, play each other. They, these are longstanding rivalries. I mean, these are you know rivalries years. that take back you know 100 years, like you said. So yeah. um, they, they, they want to keep playing them, and, and they will. And, and that's not that big of a deal, I think, for, for the administrators and for the athletes themselves. On that, on that point, though, 
it, it is worth noting that if you, you know, presumably you, you're, the Big Ten is likely to maintain a nine game conference schedule in the, in this format when they bring everybody in there. USC uh, already has an annual non-conference game with Notre Dame. And the idea of being able to then play UCLA and Notre Dame and then a Big Ten schedule in football, probably not happening. You might be able to get like or not. No, I, I, I wouldn't say that. No. I, I feel like the, the difficult part of of thinking about it like that is, is that uh, we, we are moving to an expanded CFP like that is done. That is happening. And so like your calculus does change a little bit to where, you know what, those marquee games, they, they bring in the additional media exposure. And I, I think from a committee standpoint, they're supposed to be rewarded, you know, playing a playing a Notre Dame every year. Um, and, and we've seen times where let's let's face it. Notre Dame is not always up at, at, at a high. They're, they're not always uh, in, in that CFP contention uh, like they have been in the last couple of years. They're certainly not this year, but even though they're ranked in the in the top 25. So, um, yeah, at the same point, uh, I think you it's not as big of a, a deal breaker for, for USC. Yeah. Are the other two non-conference games likely to be, um, you know, your your uh, Fresno States, your, your San Jose States, those those sure. type of Mountain West or or even lower tier uh, teams? Absolutely. You know, I think that that's going to be the kind of standard practice there because they know what's coming. But um, we've seen Georgia. Uh, adjust their non-conference schedule, anticipating CFP expansion in the in the, in the future, knowing that you got to play additional Power Five opponents. And the flip side is, and it's also mentioned in this report for UCLA, the fact that you're getting bigger brands to come to your place means you get to sell more tickets. And that has been something that UCLA has struggled with. We we mentioned it at the top of the show. They anticipate, you know, the, the Wisconsin folks coming in, getting a game at the Rose Bowl, uh, being able to sell more tickets for for those type of matchups, and uh, that that's going to increase their bottom line even further. So so they like from from UCLA's perspective, certainly a little bit less so from USC's perspective. They're they're going to like those big brands uh, coming to LA in the near future. And I, I, I'm sure UCLA will because there's you know. You know, there's a lot of Wisconsin and Ohio State and Michigan fans and grads that live in Southern California. Um, and uh, those first couple of games would not be surprised if even even in the Rose Bowl, UCLA is not getting a whole lot of home field advantage from all these people that now suddenly get a chance. I mean, we saw this happening with Maryland and Rutgers when they would go play premier programs like Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State. Like I've covered multiple Ohio State and Maryland games. And Ohio State has brought in 60% of that crowd every single time. There's, you know, well, there's a lot, lot of other Buckeyes in PG County. Oh, as, as, as you saw the, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, even going to a, a regular school like Northwestern, you know, Ohio State has a ton of fans there at Ryan Field. So this this happens all the oh, time yeah. for, for yeah. schools, and it will be no difference for, for the LA schools uh, once they join the league. The, I think the other kind of speaking of money, uh, you know, portion of this of this report that that stuck out to me is now we have, uh, at least according to UCLA, a little bit of quantifiable data about how much not just the increased travel costs, but the increased supplemental costs to support that travel. And you know, I'm looking here at the actual. Um, yeah, I mean, UCLA says uh, I, I just got to pull it up right in front of me. They, yeah. they anticipate between nine and, and 10 million, uh, 9.1 and uh, 10.3 million in new costs, uh, new costs. Charter flights, um, you know, I, I think it was interesting that they wanted to add uh, additional mental health uh, professionals to ca- campus. Uh, so they wanted to say, you know, they said that's going to be another $300,000 a year that they uh, anticipate easily being able to pay for because of the the increased revenue in, in terms of media rights. Um, you know, yes, there's there's going to be increased nutrition, um, you know, which they listed at nearly $3 million, which is Funny thinking back, uh, if, if you go back to kind of the early days of the Chip Kelly era, where they're uh, serving sushi and uh, you know, yeah, uh, they, they, they're, they're they're not skimping on on uh, on food costs, much to the chagrin of maybe some some uh, some bean counters at that school. All this makes complete sense. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a it's between four and five million just for the flights alone. 
which is going to increase charters, then all of these other costs. Now, if theoretically all of those numbers are accurate, and uh, I, I will say between us friends here and everyone listening, I think it is it would not be unreasonable to err on actually inflating some of these, given that food, airport, air, uh, air, airplane fuel, and some of these commodities are stuff that is especially susceptible to inflation. And these are things that have jumped up uh, more uh, for other athletic departments. Um, if all that, even if all that's true, you're still making way more money from the from the college football playoff revenue and the the Big Ten television deal. If theoretically, as as has been speculated by by some commentators here, that the UC regions say, okay, UCLA, you can make this move, but you need to pay UC Berkeley ten million dollars a year, fifteen million dollars a year, then it gets a little bit more complicated. I, I not to the point where I think you would say don't do this, but to the point where. It's not so much an enormous financial windfall anymore, and that would complicate matters a little bit. So, so let me let me ask you this: based on what you have heard and the people that you have talked to, are you expecting the you 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 the, uh, the UC regents to take any adverse action in any way towards UCLA leaving? I I would put it at maybe a just a ten percent chance. You know, I, I think it's pretty low that they would actually kind of block fully block this move. Um, whether they end up doing the, like you said this the stipend, I, I think there's too much unknown with the Pac-12 media rights situation, and and they kind of allude to this in, in UCLA's report that they're going to be able to put a number on it, you know, and or put a percentage on it, you know, and say you got to send X number of dollars uh, to to Berkeley. I, I think that that would be a hard sell, especially yeah. from from a legal standpoint in terms of uh, you know why why is this campus getting that. It could get challenged in court. Um, you know, I, I think ultimately uh, nothing much ends up happening other than this getting rubber stamped. We, we never know uh, where these regions, especially given that these, the, you know, athletics is not necessarily uh, based on some of their questioning at previous meetings. They're 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 forte, right? Um, so yeah. I, I think you got to keep that in mind. I, I think. Earlier, you know, a couple months ago, I probably would have said, yeah, you, you could definitely see something like a, a $10 million going from, from UCLA um, to, to Cal. And, and that makes the math a little bit difficult, um, you know, where, where it's a little closer uh, from staying in the Pac-12 versus going to the Big Ten. But I, I think ultimately I've talked with enough folks that uh, that might not end up being the case. You know, maybe maybe it's a, a requirement to where you end up having to play Cal a certain number of times um, to where they can kind of keep the, the home revenues and, and you can still maintain some of those ties. Could, could there be something along those lines? Sure. I, I think that that might end up uh, being the kind of compromise here. But I, I think it's being less and less likely that um, UCLA, in terms of the, the actual dollars and cents of it making uh, making um, no sense to, the, to them, is is um, they're, they're just not going to uh, uh, end up having to do too much there uh, out of this meeting, at least. I, I think I agree. It, it is, I have not talked to anybody, any attorney any higher education professional, anybody that is in any of the athletic departments, either in the Big Ten or the Pac-12, that thinks that there's a, a real chance that UCLA could be prohibited from joining. And, and similarly, I, I have heard less optimism or, like, or or feeling that there's going to be even a significant tax. And, and another reason for this, and I, I wrote about this earlier, is there is a concern that in the event that the university system says you can't do this or the regents that do this, there's going to be, I want to use the, the industry specific correct term here, a shit ton of litigation, um, litigation involving commercial properties, litigation involving vendors, litigation from um, uh, 
university officials towards the, the governor or the, the governing system at all, especially if they were operating on the assumption that this is authority that cannot be actually used. This is the kind of thing that could end up in the California Supreme Court. And if you are a few leaders that do not want additional conflict, if you don't like litigating some of these things here in well, public. That, that is the absolutely the case with, the, yep. with the, the two chancellors involved in this, at both Cal and UCLA. They, they, they would rather, rather this this fight, if you will, uh, to be taken out, you know, away from the cameras, away from the discussion points and in, in media and in, in, in podcasts like this, that they, they don't want any of that. And, and I think uh, both, uh, both chancellors w- would love to have some sort of solution done behind doors. I, I don't think that's obviously going to be the case, but um, yeah. th- they would love for the conflict to go away and, and whatever makes that easier for, for everybody. I think they would absolutely want that. They do not want a long drawn out fight because they don't want to go through the legal process. They don't want to be called in front of these committee meetings or anything like like that. Uh, that is absolutely not what, the, what they want to do. Un- unquestionably. They don't want to deal with a bunch more requests from people like me. Nobody involved in this process is thinking, you know what this needs is more Gavin Newsom. That's that's what this, no, no, one, no one's calling for that. So we'll see. We'll get some clarity in a couple of days. And I think that clarity will then make it much easier for us to get more information about what the finality of the Pac-12 media deal, the uh, finality or timetable for potential realignment or expansion from, from the Pac-12 um, this is sort of one of the events that needs to be put into the, the rear view mirror before we can move on. Um, there's one other thing here that I, I, you know, in the California system that I did want to talk about, but before we do that, uh, I want to talk about our sponsor here real quick. That is of course, our dear friends at home field apparel, you know, home field apparel sells UCLA stuff. Absolutely. I believe they you do. have some in your uh, closet somewhere, right? I, I do. They also sell USC stuff. Uh, they make things for uh, multiple University of California institutions and mid-majors, high-majors, and low-majors throughout the country. The most comfortable, unique uh, apparel out there. Um, beyond just the most affordable, the most comfortable, the most interesting, unique, officially licensed collegiate retro apparel, um, we are nigh approaching a pretty significant shopping day. Uh, that is Black Friday, and we have a different promo code, a different offer to tell you about so you could save some stuff, some money, when you go buy a bunch of home field stuff, which I know is what you're going to be doing here. The Black Friday sale starts November 18th. That is, uh, as we are recording this, this Friday. It runs through the 27th. So it's actually like Black Fridays. It's not just one day. You don't have to camp out at 3.30 in the morning. Well, I've already, I've already seen like Black Friday sales dating to last month. So you know what? I, I commend Home Field for at least going from Friday to Black Friday itself. So they, they, they at least are, are sticking with that front. We, we, this is the kind of holiday creep that's acceptable. The important thing is I don't have to go. We don't have to camp out Cabela's with like a rifle or something to go through a stampede. You can you can do it from your sweatpants. Ideally, your Home Field sweatpants, your doggers. So it goes from the 18th to 27th. You can get 20% off the entire dang site. Use promo code Black Friday. That's all one word. It's the biggest discount that Homefield offers the entire year. It's a bigger discount than the typical extra points discount. It's not just for your first order. If you bought a bunch of Homefield stuff, and by God, I know I look at our audience metrics, I know that you have. Use promo code Black Friday during between the 18th and the 27th. Save 20% off your entire order. Um, things and things will go quickly. So make sure you uh get get, get your orders in early. Uh, you should, because the, I don't want to say that they have a very good shipping and logistics department, but they are going to get swamped and everyone's going to get swamped. The postal department's going to get swamped. Your UPS driver is going to get swamped. Buy your stuff early. 
Um, subscriptions to Extra Points, in my opinion, make really good holiday gifts, and you don't have to worry about shipping. But this stuff is much more comfortable than a subscription to Extra Points. Go to homefieldapparel.com, use promo code BLACKFRIDAY, save 20% off of your order. Speaking of sponsorship agreements, I want to talk about one that has gone not nearly as well as our long and profitable and deeply beloved commercial relationship with Home Field Apparel. Um, are, you're not a big crypto guy, right, Brian? No, I, I no. cannot be uh, described as that in, in any stretch of the imagination. I didn't, I didn't think that you were. Um, some folks out in California are. Uh, you, if you are an astute follower of Cal Berkeley Athletics, you might remember uh, recently that uh, the, the university sold the naming rights to the field at Memorial Stadium to FTX. So the Cal State, it's Cal Memorial Stadium is supposed to be known as FTX Field at California Memorial Stadium. FTX is a, uh, or rather was a gigantic crypto exchange. You might have heard about this, even if you're not somebody that's on Reddit or on Twitter all the time. Um, FTX has completely imploded. It is one of the biggest, uh, not just crypto collapses, but maybe one of the, potentially one of the biggest financial scandals since Enron, since Lehman Brothers. Like people may go to jail for this. Uh, but it was like an, an enormous collapse. And a lot of crypto companies, not just FTX, but a lot of them became very aggressive in the sports space. They were aggressive in naming rights for stadiums. The Los Angeles Lakers play at Crypto.com, different company, similar industry. The Miami Heat played at, uh, at the FTX arena, I want to say, and, and they've been involved in, in other commercial sports entities. Also, major, major sponsors for lots of digital uh, companies. They, they buy a lot of ads. It's like them and, and, and sports gambling are like the two of the industries that kind of propped up sports blocks and sports websites a lot over the last year or so. That's going away. And now we have a couple of specific questions here for Cal. And I'm, I, I'm likely to write about this. We've, I've, I've talked to a couple of people because it, it's especially problematic for Cal because they need the money. Uh, every Power 5 athletic department is always looking for more revenues. But it's at, at some places – because of your television deal, because of your sponsorship rights, because of other revenue, you are not going to to be in a state of crisis if uh, $900,000 doesn't show up or something. Cal, I think it is fair to say, is in one of the most precarious situations among Power 5 athletic departments under the best of circumstances, given it's been challenging for them to sell tickets. They've been pretty lousy at flagship sports for the past couple of years. They had an absolutely enormously expensive stadium renovation that they have not been able to pay off. And so you know, debt has been a major problem. You were tied up with Under Armour, who canceled your deal when you had signed a, a bunch of, of money up front. This even happened to one of the sponsors of their field, right? It was Kaboom, the mobile game developer, was a previous sponsor of this field. That deal didn't work out and, and finish as planned here. And so now the open question is, what happens next? Because they're taking the signage off the field. Like no one is going to be keeping FTX anything because this company might not exist anymore. Um, the questions we have left are one, how much money is Cal out? Because do you do you remember from th this deal what, what made this deal unique besides the fact that it was a crypto exchange working with the college football field? There was something very unique about the way this transaction was set up. Well, they, they ended up taking the payment from FTX 
well, not necessarily directly from Cal uh, to to right. Cal uh, was was the payment from FTX was supposed to be done in crypto. Uh, that was done through their MMR partner Learfield. So they, they gave the crypto to Learfield. Learfield converted that into in, into cash, and that's what ultimately Cal got. Obviously, this is a multi year sponsorship. We've seen this with the case of of Miami. Uh, I'm, I'm, I was not uh, com- completely sure if, if Cal's deal was structured similarly. I, it didn't seem like it uh, based on everything that I was I was reading. You have more information on, on that because you kind of been digging into some, some of the documents, but and. In the case yeah. of FTX Arena down in Miami, they actually paid uh, quite quite a bit up front in terms of the actual cash value of things. So, uh, they, they, you know, Miami and and the and the city of Miami or county of Miami Dade, they they actually made out pretty well. They got like nineteen million dollars um, from what typically was about like a seven million dollar uh, a year sponsorship agreement, and and that's for for their stadium naming right. So, like they, they actually made out pretty well in this. Cal did not necessarily uh, make out quite as well in terms of uh, just the lost revenues going forward. But um, you know, look, this is a big thing. And, and and you know, to your earlier point, you know, a lot of these these crypto companies have been heavily involved in the in the sports space. I, I find it is very interesting that you know as we approach the World Cup, you're going to hear the term sports washing a lot when it comes to that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just using sports as legitimate, uh, kind of using that and, and coasting off of it for legitimacy. And uh, crypto has been a huge player in, in the sports arena doing just that. Um, you, you mentioned crypto.com. FTX has been big. Uh, the, the Warriors just had a promotion uh, with, with FTX, the bobbleheads, and, and so yeah. they had to kind of take those away. And um, they're, they're not doing anything in the, in the future. So like, um, you know, a lot of these crypto com- companies have been able to see sports as a value driver in terms of their legitimacy. And um, you know what? Uh, sports companies and, and in sports entities, uh, not only in the professional side, but as we're talking with Cal here uh, on, on the college athletic side, are jumping two feet in because they understand that uh, there there is cash to be made on their end, and um, sometimes it backfires, like like in the case of Cal and and their field here. Yeah, and, and this is one of the other big questions, right? So it it my best guess, and I hope to have more information about this later, and if I do, I, I will publish it on extrapointsmb.com. I don't think Cal is going to be out. The entire amount of money here. It's it's unclear how much was upfront and how much is spread out over a year, but they're going to get some of this money back. And presumably, most likely, they will be able to sell the naming rights again. I was talking with um, some professors that I, I met at the Charlotte Marketing Conference. There was a couple of papers about sports rights. And one of the challenges, there's two challenges as, as you take this back into the market, the two things that Cal is going to face. One, is generally your rights are only most valuable the first time that you sell them. Because every time that you go and you change the name, there's going to be consumers that are still only going to call it by its original name. And so like the utility that the sponsoring company gets declines every single time. Um, there, I, 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 am, I, am, uh, I literally don't remember what the name is of the current Cleveland Guardians ballpark. Like in my head, uh, because I am 35 going on 70, like in my head, I still think of it as Jacob's Field which was what it was originally called. It took me a long time to go, oh, it's not Quicken Loans Arena where the Cavaliers play. Or it, it is that. It's not Gund Arena, named after like the old owner, because I said that so many times. We're going to be calling where the Steelers play Heinz Field, the, the collective we, for a long time. No matter how much money... You still hear that on on the pregame shows. They'll, they'll say Heinz Field. You know, it's like an, even the thing, folks that uh, at the networks, they're getting paid uh, quite a credit... Yeah, uh, you know, right. they, they just they skip right over it. Inertia is a powerful force. Now, as the, a field is different than a stadium. It's right. And I, I don't and it's not like FTX was the sponsor for this for very long. But if this is your third or fourth sponsor for the field, it may be it might be more challenging to to get the amount of money that you're looking for. There's also the fact that the utility and like the 
reputation of this asset, if it has now been tainted by two different companies that didn't work out, may uh, you, there may be a reputational tax as you take that asset into the marketplace. It's not always the case. Like um, the where the Astros play, they used to be Enron Field. Um, and the, of course, you know, that it took a long time to go get that you know, torn down there. There were, as I understand it from talking to some of these professors, lots of people still bid on that, even though it was Enron Field. Eventually Minute Maid, you know, got the rights and they paid quite a bit of money for it. Um, but I don't necessarily think it will be just turnkey like, oh, okay, let's go put up the posting on, um, you know, the, 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 the naming rights equivalent of career builder and see who bids. Um, it, it may be a little bit more complicated, which is problematic because this is this is a school right up there with Rutgers and right up there with Oregon State and Washington State who like who really needs this money. Uh, it could not happen at a, at a worse time uh, and quite frankly, like a, a worse kind of company, because given that this is Silicon Valley ish, this is this is this is Bay Area. This is this is uh, the heart of the tech industry. Um, there can be a lot of jokes about this for a long time. Well, I mean, it made sense, you know, for Cal's perspective and, and certainly from FDX perspective, you know, this is a tech company in, in, in the Bay Area. You're going to recruit a lot of Cal grads, you know, and so like you yeah. can understand the market marketing synergies here. And I mean, a, a 10 year, 17 and a half million dollar deal. I, I, I think um, obviously the school was very particular in terms of they were going to get paid in cash. They were going to get their 17 and a half million dollars, no matter what the value of the, the Bitcoin or the Ethereum or whatever um, Learfield, their MMR partner ended up getting paid. They were they were going to get their cash. So at least uh, they were kind of covered on that front. The other thing that, that I keep in mind that the reason that is particularly damaging at this time for the bears right now is the fact that it's pretty soft advertising market, you know, whether it's on, on pretty much anything, much less naming yeah. rights where you're talking about multi-million dollar spins. And so uh, as, as, as much as they might be okay on the front end of this deal, as, as much as some of the other FTX arenas and cryptos.coms and all those uh, places might be okay in terms of, Hey, they maybe got a little bit more upfront and that's already cash in the bank. Where they're going to the market now is, is a lot different than it was two or three years ago uh, when, when people wanted to sponsor these these uh, type of places. And I, I think that's that's going to be the other thing that, um, you know, whether if they're looking to do a long term deal, which these typically are, um, you know, in the, in the five to 10 year range, you know, they, they might get dinged a little bit in terms of the actual value over time. And that's where the probably is, is the most concerning thing if you're in that Cal Athletic Department right now. That is a great point. And you're absolutely right. And this is something I've honestly tried to flag a little bit on the NIL beat, too. Um, and I pay more close to close. I personally pay close attention to this because this is part, it's still part of how extra points makes money. But as we head into a potential probable recession or, or some kind of economic slowdown, generally one of the first play, uh, areas where, where companies cut spend, like expenses is in marketing and especially in really either very expensive or more speculative, unproven advertising ventures. If you're, if you're going to, if you're going to limit your budget, you're going to try to stick to what actually works. Um, what we're already seeing is that programmatic advertising, like, you know, the, the, the big the, you know, display ads that kind of run three quarters of the internet, that's already in decline. My concern beyond just, this is a softer market for, for maybe big ad ad spends anyway, maybe Cal has to wait a year before finding somebody else. Like it's not the worst thing in the world. If you're just Cal Memorial stadium, but I think this might be a factor in NIL space too. Not that I think, oh, the advertising market's down, so Auburn boosters aren't going to pay as much money. Like the booster donor side, I'm coming around to the idea that's almost impervious to economic conditions so long as like the rich people have money. But if you're a AAA brand considering a national ad campaign where you might have hired, you know, done deal with 40 different athletes for NIL, 
you are less likely to do that now than you were two quarters ago. And uh, to the extent of the NIL space or the multimedia rights space that depends on Johnson and Johnson or Chick-fil-A or, or some other, you know, Skyline Chili or something getting involved in something like this, the, the economic headwinds are pretty significant. Um, this is not when you want, this is not the best time to be going into that as for a lot of different reasons. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's compounded by the fact that because you, you try to lock again, lock in so many long-term deals, like it just can be difficult to kind of budget, you know, when, when you're, um, you know, filling the crunch in, in other places, you know, your, your yeah. targets, your, your big multinational companies are going to be like, you know, we're, we're just not going to be, be in on, on this type of, of bidding. And, uh, that's, that's going to allow others. Yes. That, uh, maybe are, are less resourced and you know what you would say, Hey, you know what? Maybe we can get in on this at a better price. And so there is yeah. the, the kind of flip side on that front. I, I think that at the, at the end of the day, though, at least Cal is kind of saved a little bit by the fact that this is happening at the end of the season. So you know what? They at least have some time to kind of sort things out. And as much as they're stripping the the FTX FTX logo there uh, off the field uh, this week, you know, I, I think there 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 will at least be some time at least to consider this, go through the naming rights process, um, you know, work with work with their conference partners. They'll, they'll at least be able to draft a little bit. I, I think off of the new pack. Media rights deal, which should be announced yeah. here in, in in a little bit, and so they they can at least go to sponsors and say, "Hey, look, we're we're going to have this increased exposure, or we're going to be on Amazon, so you can sell, help sell your product right there, uh, you know, at whatever field it might be." So, like, there, there are at least some some minor things that uh, can can help the Bears, but it is a precarious situation that uh, they're they're going to have to deal with on top of everything that is going on in college athletics, uh, you know, overall, just in, in general. Yeah, you know, not everybody has a home field apparel. A, a, a gigantic, dependable, perfectly aligned flagship sponsor. I hope that everybody can have that. Cal, if you take our home field deal for your football field, so help me, I will baptize you in so many FOIA requests. Your clerk won't know what hit him. They're ours. Um, on that note, <laughs> I think both of us need to go maybe do some packing and, and go get ready for, for our week here. Um, real quick plug. And we're going to be recording this here on Tuesday. We, we, uh, we've got a couple other things that you may enjoy on Extra Points if you haven't had a chance to read them. Uh, today, I published an interview with the commissioner of the Pioneer Football League. This is an FCS league um, that does not offer any athletics, uh, any football scholarships. Very unlike the Big Sky, very unlike the, the CAA. This is the league with Dayton and Davidson, Butler, St. Thomas, um, who is leading the league right now. Um, they, there's, they have an automatic bid. Wanted to get an idea for what this league is looking to do in a post-transformation era world, tra tra transformation committee world, how it fits in with what college sports looks like now relative to maybe a decade ago. Something that I think would be of interest to many of our readers. Uh, we also did a free post this week. Uh, I don't know if you had, I don't know if you took this quiz, Brian, but I got a seven. You got <laughs> that. That makes me feel honestly pretty good. So we did a quiz to see how many uh, how many schools are ones that we just made up or ones that have played a men's basketball game against a division one opponent. Cause you're looking through there in you know, the beginning of men's college basketball season is riddled with division two and NAIA and barely uh, accredited institutions for these low major buy games. And looking through here, I'm like, I'm a degenerate man. Brian's a degenerate. We've been doing this for a long time. We thought we knew most of these schools. I know a lot of division two institutions, if you told me that Champion Christian College was a real place like a week and a half ago, I would I would not have believed you. So it made me feel pretty good that like, I was able to make up some schools that sound pretty believable, like Nevada Mines. That one's not real. But you, you can take the quiz for yourself. Over 3,000 people have. You can find that as well at extrapointsmb.com. 
Brian, I understand you got a couple other things that uh, you're excited to share as well. Yeah, I uh, have, have a couple of things up on uh, Fox Sports uh, related to the college football playoff. Um, you know, I, I know uh, usually we, we have used this time to, to plug the the head coach here that we did this week, obviously, given the events in, in Virginia, Bronco Mendenhall, um, not not up for, for recording an episode as normal, but we will have a special episode yeah. uh, with a lot of coaches uh, on, the, on the Virginia staff uh, last year, this year, uh, that Bronco knows to talk about the, the individuals that were affected by that tragedy. Um, you know, just a, a, a gut-wrenching blow. I saw Tony, Tony Elliott's uh, press conference uh, before we ended up recording this one. And um, that is a, a community that is hurting right now. Um, a lot of coaches that, that knew all of those kids, um, you know, that were shot and, and tragically passed away. Um, you know, we, we want to kind of celebrate them and, and uh, celebrate their memory uh, a little bit. And we're going to do that on Head Coach U uh, this week. You'll look for it uh, on, on on Friday um, and hopefully. And so I, I think that'll be a special episode. Uh, do, do check that out. And uh, hopefully we can uh, bring a little bit of, of happiness and, and, and memory uh, for, for some of the uh, those those tragic guys uh, that were lost. I. I, I think of, of all the of people that I want to hear hear about hear from about this those 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 folks who have such deep ties to that program would be at the top of the list. It's an unthinkable tragedy, um, and, and uh, you know it, it just hit them so hard. You know, like yeah. I, I mean, you just don't expect to be waking up to to that kind of news. You know, right? And uh, you know, I mean, like we we, we talk so much on that podcast about recruiting and and the the types of kids that you get, and you know. All, all those guys, you know, they were they were at Broncos Ranch, you know, riding around uh, on on his horses with him. That that's part of the deal there at Virginia, um, you know, when, when he was the head coach. And so uh, to have those kind of connections, to the, the personal connections, one to one. Yes, it's a team of a hundred plus players, but uh, you you get to know those guys, and you get to know them through the recruiting process, starting when they're kind of freshmen in high school sometimes, um, which Tony Elliott spoke about today. So like, um, that, yeah. that, there's a a tremendous connection to to those that were lost, and um, hopefully we'll be be able to honor them just a little bit uh, this week. I am uh, looking for looking for is not exactly the right way to put this, but I, I I want to hear more from people close to that program and close to those young men and talk about their lives and uh, and 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 how they how they fit in there. It, it, one of the one of the other I, we can kind of close on this a both blessing of this job and and a real struggle is uh, and I, I think you would agree one one of the real blessings we have is when you get a chance to to even get to spend some time with an athlete um, on a more meaningful level than just a press conference and get to talk to them a little bit, almost always you come away impressed, and which is not always the case when you talk to an administrator. I like most of the, the, the adults working in this world. I, I really do. But there are a couple of times I talk to somebody just like, they're full of shit. And that, that, that almost never, ever happens for, for the 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds, people that are balancing really difficult demands in school and elite athletic performance and their communities. And, and this was, this seemed to be the case here with, with, with these three young men that, that really cared about the world around them. And it is a shame that you kind of, it's easier to, to understand a full 360 of their lives when something absolutely terrible happens. And it is a reminder that everything that we are doing, this podcast, our businesses, our jobs, and this entire enterprise is built around human beings that have three-dimensional lives and and uh, are way more than just people that do something on a Saturday. Um, I, I, hopefully, if we can take one thing from this, it, it's, it's, a, it's a reminder of that and, and to look, look for that humanity throughout the entire time that we are involved. Um, on that note, you can uh, find all the work that we're doing 
on uh, across the D1 ticker family on, on both heavy topics and uh, substantially less heavy topics. You can find this show on uh, Apple and Google and Spotify and YouTube and your microwave oven downloads podcasts. You can probably get it there as well somehow. Take me take a screenshot of it if you figure out how to do that. Um, and we will get back in touch with you a little bit later this week once we're on the road. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>